So welcome back everybody to Marla's Conversations with Friends, Topics Around Wellbeing. I am honored today uh, and delighted to be talking to a very good friend of mine who I feel like we have known each other for what feels like an eternity, although I'm sure it hasn't been, but it feels like a very long time and I'm delighted to have his friendship. Um, we're having a conversation with uh, Dr. Bruce Doblin around uh, health and care of people and kind of its evolution and how, how certainly, of course, obviously it relates to our well-being. And for me and why I chose this topic outside of it being relatively obvious, I wanted to talk with Bruce because he is a doctor and a, a doctor of general med medicine, mm -hmm. but he has an incredibly unique background and I wanted to shed, have him just shed insight on a lot of different things from functional medicine, insight on alternative medicine, longevity, our healthcare system. And so we're just going to kind of banter around and have fun with it. And so thank you, Bruce, for being here. I value always your opinion uh, on many things, but most importantly in the medical field. And so thank you for sharing your wisdom here with me and all of those who listen to this. Mm -hmm. and no, I'm delighted, delighted, delighted to join you and happy to support this great endeavor. Yay. Um, all right. Well, so let's dive in. Um, I, I kind of sent you some questions ahead of time. And as I said, we won't stick to them. But if we think one of the first things that kind of came to mind for me was um, how has health and care of the individual changed over your time uh, and in your practice as an MD? And from my perspective, um, in being in the I came from the salon and spa wellness industry, a different perspective than your world for sure. Um, but I also have kept myself very well educated uh, as best I can. Uh, certainly not on everything, but I, I, it's what I teach. So I, I help people become better well-being so that they don't have to uh, face uh, hopefully unforeseen illnesses or injuries or hospitalizations. Not that I'm some miracle worker, but I, I teach and help people to just lead healthy lives for longevity. So in your space, um, what have you seen uh, over your time? How has it changed? Because you've been a doctor for a very long time, and I'm sure it's dramatically different from when you started, I gather. No, it's, it's almost unrecognizable. Um, the way that young physicians are trained is dramatically different, but I think the healthcare system is dramatically different. In, in some ways, I think are wonderful, and in some ways, I think are are, are concerning. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, as as you were talking a little bit about this, my mind went into a couple of different directions. Um, firstly, you know, the medical system was never designed around health or wellness. It was, it was never the goal. Hmm. The goal was really, and it wasn't even prevention. Prevention is sort of a new 
aspect to medical care. It, it was acute care. It was, you uh, came back from battle and you had a broken leg and you needed your leg fixed. You had a pain in your stomach and uh, it was interfering with your activities. You wanted that to go away. And maybe that meant, you know, we had to take your gallbladder out or we had to treat your ulcer. Mm -hmm. But the system by and large is there to treat acute illnesses still. Right. Um, and, I, and I think it's important to draw a distinction between the medical system and, 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 the, and the healthcare system. Mm. Um, so that's one thing is the system was never designed to really focus on health and wellness. Um, and partly because, and I, I'm really kind of guessing here, but mm -hmm. um, you know, it's easy to measure certain things. Uh, health and wellness are harder to measure. Mm -hmm. uh, medicine likes to think of itself as a science. Um, sure. And so we have vital signs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we shy away from things that we can't prove and that we can't see. And health and wellness, I think, is a is a bigger and more important endeavor. Mm -hmm. um, so one, the system was never really set up to focus on health and wellness. I think the other thing is that the healthcare system as we see it has become remarkably complicated. Mm -hmm. um, For sure. <laughs> partly because there's more and more specialization. You know, now you've got the left you know, the orthopedic surgeon who only replaces left hips mm. and the orthopedic surgeon that only replaces right hips. And, and that, what that means is as an individual trying to kind of be seen as a single entity, as a person mm -hmm. in your wholeness means that you are now integrating information and input from several different sources that might not know each other and might not communicate. So when I, when I started as a general internist, as a primary care physician, I was trained to understand that my role was to really sort of be a quarterback and to organize and manage the input that we got from other medical professions and to make sure that you understood it and that mm -hmm. it made sense to you. And more importantly, to make sure that you were well represented in those conversations. Mm -hmm. So that I would, you know, we could talk about the recommendations of a cardiologist and a pulmonologist and a nephrologist. And we would ultimately start with what is it that you want? And then, then, I, then I could translate all of this information. We would make a decision together, mm -hmm. a, a patient in front of me, um, you know, that was based on their interests and their values. Now the system is so complicated um, that it's hard to find a good primary care doctor with that attitude. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what, what's happening, I think, is that people are forced to become their own advocates mm -hmm. and they're forced to gather information, um, and assess it and make decisions, uh, that I think, I, I think put people at a, at a bit of an advantage these days without somebody really fully advocating, um, for them and, and putting the pieces together. So do you, I have a couple of questions. A lot of things came up. That was, that's a, a I mean, a fascinating way how you explained it. And of course, many things came to mind. And one sure. is <clears throat> I'm certainly eternally grateful for the, our doctor who we've had for 30 plus years. And, and as I was thinking of him, as you were describing what your mm -hmm. role was, and I thought, yeah, you know, 
Dr. Todd Newberger is absolutely the quarterback and advocating for us and being the one to have conversations and step in and, and speak for us. And, and uh, when we are uh, having to negotiate uh, a surgery or a procedure or whatever it is. Uh, mm -hmm. So I am eternally grateful for that. And at the same time, also got concerned, as you were saying, that you don't feel that those types of doctors really maybe not exist, but it's, it's less and less. Is that one of, you mentioned you were concerned earlier with the, the way newer doctors are being trained versus how you were trained. Mm -hmm. What are some of those concerns? What, I mean, I can see it. I don't see it necessarily from your space in terms of the kind of people I don't get to see the kind of people you interact with, but I certainly see even in my line of work that I do in the well-being world and, and many of the other topics that I teach, how people are trained in the last uh, five, mm -hmm. 10 years. I've watched how they're trained and I think, wow, that is definitely not the experience I had when I went through my foundational training in my area. So what is it that, what's not happening now? Well, I think, I think that sense, you know, and, and you probably share it really across across our different industries, but that sense of professionalism mm. and professional responsibility and, and a set of professional ethics was a very important grounding piece of my training that you were, you, you know, you were considered very lucky to be studying medicine and it was a privilege and that came along with responsibilities. Um, and when I got out of medical school and started my own practice, that was what most doctors did. Mm -hmm. And to start your own practice with your name on the door carries a lot of weight and responsibility. And I think you make decisions in a different way. Mm -hmm. Right now, most young physicians in training want to be an employee. Mm. They're going to be an employee of a major healthcare system. Like within a hospital? Within a hospital or okay. within a within an outpatient setting. So they're mm. la a large doctor, physician, medical group. Okay. Um, but, you know, they want regular hours. They want to come and go. They, 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 <laughs> they want they, it well, easy? Well, in a, in a way they do. And, you know, and, and some of this I don't fault them for. And maybe it's better that they're taking care of themselves and drawing lines between their professional lives and their personal lives. So I don't. I'm not saying that all of these things are bad, but the mindset of an employee is the different than the mindset of a, of a business owner. Oh, for sure. You know? Yeah, for sure. Oh, I definitely see that there, there are easily people who prefer, I would rather answer to someone else. I'd rather someone else, you know, set my schedule and, and be my motivator, whatever, versus taking on your own personal business and that responsibility and that legacy and not just legacy of an ego, like, Hey, I'm, you know, Dr. Marla Boyle and I'm better than anybody else, but just a legacy of you chose to be in a profession where you are literally in service to others. You are helping other people feel better. And there is a, a, a huge um, responsibility that comes with that. Absolutely. Um, do you think that, well, and I also love the whole professional ethics 
privilege responsibility, I think, and mm -hmm. you might agree with this, that there's plenty of doctors out there who I think took this a little too far in terms of like, hey, I'm the best doctor in town, the best, right. you know, I'm only here, I can't talk to you, but the, the assistant underneath me or the resident or whatever, the terms you guys use, you can talk to them, but not to me. I've certainly experienced that in the medical field and I experienced it in my site as well. But um, I think that the professionalism and just level of responsibility of someone's health is is paramount to me. If If one has chosen to go in the field that you have chosen being a doctor, I think I would take great pride in that uh, to some degree, you know, that I'm, I'm studying to literally help people and you can change lives. I mean, it's. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and I think that's why it, it remains such an incredibly rewarding field. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, but, but I, I think, you know, the attitude is reflected in simple ways, like uh, the fact that it's impossible to get a doctor on the phone in most cases. Yeah. You know, so when somebody used to call me, I, I would step out of the room and I, you know, if they wanted to talk to me right away, or was it really important? And, and everybody in the practice knew that they would get the same treatment mm -hmm. in an emergency. And so they were fine um you know with waiting a few minutes but now you know you can't get the doctor on the phone and these systems are created because they see doctors as workers in a bigger industry mm. and it's inefficient for me to be interrupted and on the phone and so they make it hard for you mm. so kind of like the uh the surgeon who was had to go to to court and there was a new recent, like some news story where this judge, there was a, they were all on Zoom. It was the judge, the lawyer, and this doctor, the mm -hmm. surgeon, and he's in the middle of surgery taking a Zoom call. <laughs> and the judge says, no, I'm pretty sure this is not going to work. We're not doing this. Yeah. You're, we're not having this <laughs> testimony while you're in surgery and thinking it's pretty inappropriate to the patient who's on your table. Yes. Um, something crossed my mind. I hadn't really thought about it. Um, I mean, I want to know what your thoughts are first. Uh, you know, what are the gaps that you found in our healthcare system? But something crossed my mind as you were explaining, you know, can't get a doctor on the phone and a lot of things triggered. What do you, what's the, what's the healthcare system like, say, and we'll just use Europe as an example, because I think they're probably any maybe an easier example i don't know uh i mean is it because when you said these current physicians are part of a larger company a larger healthcare mm -hmm. company is it that way in europe or, or elsewhere i mean third world well, countries it's hard each, to say each european like, country has kind of a unique healthcare system mm -hmm. i mean the you know national health system in britain is uh, notoriously critiqued um, and uh, not not very well loved by many, um, you know, and and thought to be very underfunded mm -hmm. and political. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, in Germany and France, they have a mix of private and public, but um, 
but our, you know, our system, I mean, the other thing that's complicated is um, how fragmented our system can be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was reading, I mean, the whole role of the insurance company is a whole nother topic of conversation. Oh my God, we are you not know, going there. <laughs> yeah, let's not go there. No. People will tune out, tune out in a millisecond. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I was just reading a story in the paper this morning about uh, somebody who um, went into the hospital in the last several months, had uh, symptoms extremely suggestive of COVID, but the COVID test was negative. Um, when they left the hospital, didn't use a COVID diagnosis, but other diagnoses. And, uh, you know, this person ended up with a $25,000 bill. Oh my gosh. You know, when care for COVID related illnesses is supposed to be covered um, by the federal government as part of our pandemic response. Right. So, you know, that's, that's just, uh, a, a, a symptom of how complex um, and complicated our, our system is. Um, but, you know, I, I think you originally were sort of talking about, um, you know, accessibility mm -hmm. and, you know, ability to reach your physician. I think that in, in many European countries, it is uh, a much more local phenomenon. And, and in many cases, uh, like in England, decisions are made locally about um, what kind of services to provide in what, in what way. And in order to do that, you have to know the population. Mm -hmm. um, you know, here, our healthcare system is really a different kind of marketplace mm -hmm. where um, there may be limited amounts of information known about the public. We organize services based on what's easiest for us to do. Mm -hmm. Um, not necessarily what's what the what the community really needs the most. Right. So before we go down, because we can't go down the rabbit hole of our healthcare system, it's just yeah, we'll be here all day. So I'll, I'll flip a little bit. Uh, earlier, you talked about that now. You know, in recent years, maybe it's less five to 10 years, people are having to do more research on their own, be their own advocate and, and um, almost take their health in their own hands, mm -hmm. so to speak. Uh, so we're then, because now the, for a long time, the, the buzzword and I call it a buzzword, but it's quite a true word, uh, you know, alternative medicine, holistic health, mm -hmm. and then then there's functional medicine. Right. And um, what do you, what are those, what are the differences, if there are, what are their roles? Because I know we still, as you also mentioned earlier, that Western medicine, if I put it under that category, and how you were trained was to, for acute, uh, for acute, um, prescription or acute health, right? you know, those emergency kind of things. And so what are, what are each of the differences or what are their roles that they play and, and where do they fit in to kind of where we are now and how you've seen healthcare mm -hmm. transition? Well, there is an interest in preventative medicine within the, we'll call it traditional healthcare system. Mm -hmm. um, 
you, you know, the pap smear and the mammogram and the colonoscopy are great examples. Sure. Um, those but a physical are, is not, wouldn't you say? Like they I'm don't, sorry? having an actual physical, well, for some reason our healthcare system does not see a physical as a preventative way of medicine. You know, this is where, <laughs> <laughs> this is our healthcare system. Okay, maybe I won't you know, because, go there. No, it just it's just research has shown that an annual physical doesn't uh, necessarily improve one's health. Oh, okay. Um, which is which is true of the labs that used to go along with the annual physical. Now, I would say differently. I would mm -hmm. say that part of what's important is creating an ongoing relationship between an individual and their healthcare provider. Sure. And checking in once a year makes sense to me mm -hmm. um, because there are always things that we can do to be healthier. Um, you know, to, to sort of get back to the sense of responsibility that you mentioned, I mean, I think that's a good thing that people are now uh, being forced to be responsible for for their own health and you know what the research does show is that if we could get people to eat well exercise stop smoking mm -hmm. and maybe get a good night's sleep we would eliminate about 60 or 70 percent of chronic illnesses in america i fully believe that and and that has nothing to do with what i do as a physician now i can encourage sure and i can support and sometimes i can even facilitate those changes but you know, one of the things that I realized very early on in my career is that I couldn't take responsibility for everything that happened to my patients because it wasn't it wasn't really taking good care of them to mm -hmm. assume all of that responsibility. And and I think, you know, what we're what we're finding is that there is an important and essential aspect to health and wellness that people do need to own and mm -hmm. they need to take actions to take care of themselves sure. and I can support that. But I think that's a that's that's an important change. And I think that's really sort of symptomatic of this fork in the road between traditional medical care and health or wellness. Mm -hmm. Because they're really not the same thing. No. And I think, you know, the other part of your question was how does this fit into alternative or Eastern ideas? How does this fit into functional ideas about functional medicine? Um, you know, it's interesting, alternative and Eastern uh, medicine are terms that are hard for me to really define mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I, 20 years ago, I could tell you. Right now, so many of the Eastern notions of mindfulness, of, of meditation, of stress, and stress reduction of regular, you know, exercise of the mind and the body and connecting the two mm -hmm. have really become pretty well integrated in, in into the traditional healthcare system. Now, that doesn't mean we know how to do that, but we know those things are important. But you so, also think with Eastern medicine, there's the whole there because yeah, I agree with what you just said, that whole group of stuff is kind of it's interesting because uh, meditation, yoga, I'll take yoga in particular, mm -hmm. it's become so commercialized in the West. 
Yeah, and it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's not a, what it, it's not what it is in the East first. It's a modern form of jazzercise. Exactly. Which is sad. I mean, so, and I don't follow for me, I don't follow that at all and I don't promote it, but also uh, my, the schooling and certifications that I receive for being a holistic health and nutrition coach, mm -hmm. mine was based in just traditional Chinese medicine. And in that I, I learned, um, I learned about more about the body, but how, from a Chinese perspective, a lot of the herbs and approaches to food they take mm -hmm. and, and um, medicinal uh, ingredients that they use. And, uh, and no, there's a boatload there, one. And two, I, I, I don't teach that. I, I, there's uh -huh. aspects of it that I have continued to use um, principles and stuff, but I don't, I don't dive deep fully into the, all of the, the Chinese herbs and things that they use. Cause that's not, I, I have to spend a whole lot more time learning it, but there's that whole aspect of it. And, and in Indian as well, because in Ayurveda, which is a philosophy and a way of life that I, my training from my former business life, I spent 27 years in, so I'm, I'm far more immersed in that um, and that approach to a holistic lifestyle. So you have that piece, which I think can, if people are, as with anything, if you aren't really educated enough and you're like, oh, well, someone said I should use this and I'll use Heshi Wu and we'll use, you know, this wild mm -hmm. mushroom mix and that's going to cure me. And, and I think, I think people make it really trendy one, no matter what, over here in the West. Um, but then there's functional medicine, which I don't, I understand, but I'd love for you to talk about it a little bit more just to make sure I get, I'm in the right ballpark. Yeah, 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 sure. Um, well, functional medicine, in my experience, is a, is a little bit more of a mix of the two. So, there's tremendous wisdom in the teachings from India and the teachings from China. Those are thousands and thousands of years old. Mm -hmm. And if there wasn't something that worked, people would not be teaching it and right. not be using it. Right. From our perspective, which is a, a limited one, um, you know, we don't, our healthcare system doesn't know how to assess or evaluate some of that stuff. So for example, we don't really know how acupuncture works, right? But it works. So, so we should be doing it, and we should be encouraging of of it. And you know, a, a traditional practitioner might say to somebody if they're enlightened um, and they're trying to teach somebody for a, a disability or pain, for example, or stress or headaches or something. Mm -hmm. You know, have you tried acupuncture? And I would be more than happy to encourage patients to use acupuncture and refer them to a good acupuncturist, but could I tell them how it worked or why it worked? Not, not really. Mm -hmm. So functional medicine is a, is a field of um, endeavor that I think is trying to integrate the two. Mm -hmm. It's trying to look at some of the Western and Eastern practices um, and, and do more research to kind of understand why things work, what works in, in what way. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I think the other thing is that I think a lot of functional medicine is also um, geared toward uh, or, or connected to this whole longevity movement. Right. Um, so, you know, they will place more interest on diet, for example. Um, now we know a diet has huge implications for heart disease and high blood pressure and, you know, traditional medical diseases. And so it would, you know, and plaques in your arteries and functioning of your organs. So it would make sense that a focus on diet would be important. But I'll tell you, there's not one in a thousand doctors that knows diddly squat about nutrition. Right. Because um, you guys weren't taught it. Yeah. I, I, in four years of medical school, I think I had one hour. Really? <laughs> yeah. One hour. <laughs> Want to come to a class with me? Because I teach. <laughs> You know, I should, I, I, you know, I should. And so, you know, I dabbled a little bit in some of the functional medicine work because it, it is so focused on diet and nutrition and, and the impact on the body. But, um, but that's my sense is mm -hmm. that, that functional medicine is, is trying to look at some of the Eastern beliefs and, and rigorously study them in a way that will translate into changes in our healthcare system and also, um, focusing more on the new fields of longevity. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm gonna to get to longevity a little bit, in a little bit, but in your path uh, as a doctor, have you, like what have been some of the, uh, outside your private practice that you had because you've had a unique path? What, how do I wanna ask this? I guess, how, how have you changed your practice or what you mm -hmm. are able to do with in the avenues that you that you have been a part of over time and and have they integrated any of whether it be functional alternative has it been mostly western is it more getting people to take accountability and responsibility for their health care or just getting access to it you know, it's been a combination of things. Um, and honestly, we should, we can come back to it if you want, but yeah. some of them are for my own benefit mm -hmm. um, in terms of avoiding burnout and taking care of myself and understanding what limits I had and, um, and what kind of responsibilities were reasonable for me to shoulder. Mm -hmm. uh, you're trained as a medical professional to be wholly responsible Mm -hmm. um, nearly perfect, um, at, at full attention in the middle of the night when you're woken up <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and, and able to do all sorts of physical things, you know, that, that are, that are nutty as part of our training, mm. um, you know, 48 hours without sleeping and you're taking care of patients, you know, in a hospital setting. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just crazy. And some of that's changed, but, but to sort of get back to your question, I mean, over time, um, you know, I sought to learn more about some of these, what we'll call alternative treatments. And mm -hmm. I would meet, I would, I, anytime I would hear of somebody that a patient of mine had seen that they had liked or had good reactions or, you know, responses to, um, I would follow up and I would contact that person and say, I'd like to meet with you. I'd like to learn more about what you do. Um, so over the course of the years, I had a series of colleagues 
who were great massage therapists, who were great physical therapists, who were gifted acupuncturists. Um, I actually had them in my office at one point. They would come in once, a, one day a week, and we would schedule times for uh, patients that we shared to see together. Mm -hmm. um, so I did my own research and I became comfortable with, with recommending folks um, to, this, to this group of what, what I'll call, you know, allied health professionals or sure. uh, people that were part of, part of my team. So I did my own research, um, but I also uh, spent some time trying to better understand what, it, what the profession of medicine was all about and what my responsibilities were for, uh, towards my patients. I, I took a detour into medical ethics. Um, which is also something I'd never learned in medical school. Sure. There was no discussion of medical ethics. There was no discussion of um, establishing a relationship. There was no discussion of having conversations with patients about difficult things. Um, hmm. So, you know, I went out and really because of my own curiosity, I started looking and in some formal ways of studying ethics, which is really a way of looking at the professionalism and the responsibilities and the relationship between a doctor and a patient and how, how, how you can think about those. And I just, over the course of the years, it became clear to me that I was, I was a coach. I was an expert with advanced knowledge. I tried to find ways of communicating complicated things clearly because I didn't, you know, I, I can't expect somebody to go to medical school but I still should be able to explain to them what the liver does mm -hmm. um, so they can make decisions. But the decisions, you know, at the end were theirs with my input and, mm -hmm. and my active input. So I, I, I'm not saying I would, uh, I, I would suggest, you know, I would say, well, here's your three options, pick one. Mm -hmm. um, what I would do is I would say, here are your three options. That's part one of the conversation. Part two of the conversation is let's talk about what you're interested in. Mm -hmm. uh, what you're, how you make decisions, what you'd like to prioritize. Is it the longest number of years? Is it the most productive number of years? Mm -hmm. Is it, um, is there a limit financially? Is there a limit emotionally? Who's going to support you through a healthcare crisis or who helps you with healthcare decisions? And so part two was to really kind of understand how they would make decisions. And then part three is sort of spending spending time with them in order to make those decisions together but you know and, and if somebody said well what would you do i would tell them mm -hmm. so I, I i wasn't uh, avoiding the answer to that question but the more important question is tell me what you're interested in doing and tell me why yeah so that i understand and i and and then i can support whatever decision you make i know i love that approach and i think it's really important it's how i coach people in a sense in a different way but getting people to here's all your options here's maybe the pros and cons of all of them and and ultimately one the one of the options that you said was you know who's taking care of you what's the responsibility um financially as well one of the things that i've find these days, um, at least on, in my line of work of everybody, everybody 
everybody's a, a life coach, everybody's a wellness coach, everybody's a whatever coach, which um, I struggle with. Right. Um, simply because of what I've, you know, worked on for my entire career. Uh, what um, I, I think one of the things that I get frustrated with, and I, I imagine you see this as well, and how do you see it playing into, um, well, there's two things that I see. People going, well, I'm an, I know it all. I know I read that article. Yeah, I know that. No, I read that. I saw this online. I saw it online and somebody mm-hmm. posted and Susie Hugh in Hollywood is doing this. And, right. <laughs> you know, we, we're so good in, in the United States of just um, idolizing these manufactured realities that we create on social media, which I've talked about in, in other uh-huh. conversations that they drive me nuts. And I, I teach about them in terms of communication and relationships. Sure. But I think one of the big pieces, and I was just listening to uh, another podcast today about it, uh, is the whole l- lifestyle. There's so much, what I've seen over my time is that people don't want to change their lifestyle. We here in the United States just want quick fixes. We mm-hmm. just want a quick fix. Just, you know, just sandblast my skin off. So I look 20 years younger, yeah. just liposuction the hell out of my body. So I can just be skin and bones because I don't want to give up my drinking or the food I'm eating or whatever, or, you know, I've got this job that's killing me, but if you could just give me a few more pills, I can pop. I'm sure I'll just be fine. Right, right. And I, you know, there's that whole aspect of it. But then there's the whole aspect of, you know, I know it all. You don't know anything. Even though, Bruce, you've been a doctor for 30 some years, you don't know shit about medicine. I'm so sorry, because I've read plenty of articles. I'm not, I'm not a licensed doctor, but I've read plenty, you know. There's a lot of, there's a lot of that going around. Yeah. Um, And and, I, and, and people search for affirmation of, of their belief. Oh, for sure. <laughs> for which, sure. Which, which may be wildly bizarre and out of touch, but if they can find someone somewhere that believes the same thing, then it's a fact. No, and... it starts to become, I think, a conspiracy theory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, a whole different yeah, conversation. Absolutely. I mean, you know, people, I used to, my heart would drop when somebody would come in and they put, um, you know, a stack of newspaper articles down on the table. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, Oh no, you know, and this is, you know, like the, the, the woman who was going to cure her breast cancer, she had read an article about the fried zucchini. What? Fried Fried zucchini, zucchini? you know, and she was telling me that this was going to work. And, um, I mean, that was one of the more outrageous ones that I can remember, but, you know, it was trying to, and, 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 and she turned down surgery and traditional therapy for a trial of fried zucchini, which unfortunately didn't, didn't work. Right. But, um, you know, there is a lot of bad information and the more, you know, about something, the more you realize how much bad reporting is out there. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the more you know about a news story, the more you realize how either slanted it is or how they left yeah. out an important part. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think 
I, I think the fact that people are interested in doing research is wonderful, but oftentimes the internet, which is where most people go, leads you to, um, you know, a, a, a faulty information right. that's not in perspective, um, and and oftentimes not not particularly helpful. Right. Well, and I touch on lifestyle and people not wanting to change their life because. Uh, you know, I, I, I look at, well, there's a couple things that come to mind. One is the quick fix thing. There's the Peter Pan mentality of, well, I'm, I want to look like I'm 25 years old, even when I'm 80, which I, from my, the industry I came from has driven me cuckoo mm -hmm. from day one and it's never going to end. Uh, then there's the, um, the people who don't have the ability to change their lifestyle. I'm a single mom. I'm working three jobs, trying mm -hmm. to, I got kids trying to hold it together, but I want to have a happy life. I can't afford this stuff. So there's the accessibility. Then there's, uh, and with that accessibility, then there's the whole conversation of with a uh, lack of accessibility and the whole economic factor that's in this country and the inability to afford healthcare, which leads to uh, not good habits and, and not, a good, not good choices for their health. Um, and then there's the whole layer of the industrialization of food and what it has done to our culture uh, it's ridiculous since the forties, fifties. Yeah, sure. I mean that's the 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 food systems and the nutritional impact is is, is incredible, but you know so many of these lifestyle changes, um, change is hard, right? Mm -hmm. You hear that everywhere. Yeah, change is hard. Change is complicated, um, and you know I I I I, I try to give people one step at a time. I'm sure you do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the busy businessman who's 40 pounds overweight and can't find time to leave the office to go to the gym, you know, I'll say, how do you get to work? Well, I, I take the L. Where do you get off? Well, I get off at, you know, Grand. And I said, well, get off at Chicago and walk to Grand. You know, yeah. get off one stop early and walk for five or 10 minutes every morning and at the end of every day, you know, and, and you just, you, you know, so. Drink one more glass of water today than you did yeah, yesterday. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of, a little change, you know, that has to be supported and acknowledged. Um, and that empowers people to make the, you know, the bigger changes. Well, um, I also think we take things to an extreme in this country. So diets. Yeah, we have be... such an unhealthy culture. Oh my God. I mean, that's a whole nother. That's a whole nother conversation. Yeah, that's a whole nother topic. I mean, the way we deal with, you know, stress and trauma and. Well, I mean, even when you look at diets, okay, there's 50 different diets, quote unquote. And over my adult life, over the last 30 years of my life, not that I'm older than 30, but over the last 30 years of my career, I. Uh, have I have low blood sugar naturally, mm -hmm. 
my mother's diabetic. Uh, my grandma was probably diabetic. My mom says couldn't prove it, but I can pretty much we can pretty much guarantee that she was. So it's in her family. Um, I'm five ten. I'm built like a Viking. Mm-hmm. Um, a nice looking Viking though. I think. Very attractive Viking. Viking S. Okay, Viking S. But because of my low blood sugar and because of my because of my work pace that mm-hmm. slowly that ramped up slowly over the course of the career, I was always trying to figure out uh, what was the best meal, but of course I didn't think about it that way. What was the best diet or system that was going to help keep my blood sugar up throughout the day? Like what was the best way of eating? So I tried everything under the sun. I mean, everything, every one of those plans, I have tried them in and out under the, and none of them, they all suck. I mean, I shouldn't say that. I'm sorry. They don't suck. Nothing worked. Nothing worked for me. Right. That's a better way. I should probably say it that way. So I apologize for anybody who's tried whatever diet and it worked for you. Perfect. Uh, And, but it was through that trial and error that one of the principles that I really came to understand, and it certainly has become incredibly paramount or it's important for me in the last Mm -hmm. three years is uh, I learned early on from Dr. Andrew Weil, who is one of my heroes Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of food and, and as a, as an as an internal medicine doctor and mm-hmm. an alternative medicine that everything I'm, as a related to food, but your lifestyle, everything should be done in moderation, except moderation itself. And right. that, you know, if you want pizza, fantastic. Have it every once in a while, every couple of weeks, if it's really something you enjoy, if it's gotta be something once a week, well, okay, find a way to be more moderate about it, Mm -hmm. but to go to this extreme and to constantly, you know, if I look at any of these meal plans, whether it's Whole30, whether it's the Pegan, whether it's South Beach, whatever, then the keto, all that, they all pretty much uh, follow the same principles. I mean, pretty much every single one of them makes you cut out all your refined sugar cut and refined sugar and or sugar in general Mm -hmm. looks like a lot of different things and then they just want you to up your quantities of vegetables and uh, proteins and they don't want you to have really any grains uh, which is like key foundation around the world in all of the ancient cultures so i never still understand why they keep cutting it out but when I look at all these meal plans, we go to these extremes like, okay, kill yourself. Uh, make sure you're working out like beyond 300 minutes a week, do your hit fitness, do your, you know, mm-hmm. Ashtanga yoga every single day. Uh, yada, yada, yada. And yeah, so I don't know how I, people do it. I don't either. Because when I look at, and I'm leading to longevity, when I look at these countries, nobody's, none of them are the United States. <laughs> we our life the lifespan in america has been going down the last three years yeah I know. down i mean can you can you imagine what that says about our, our 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 culture our system our food system our healthcare system i mean it's just it's it, it's, it's so insane. shocking that it's hard to even kind of grasp 
why in the richest country in the world our our lifespan is 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 going down right because we we do not i mean and this this will could go in a in a different conversation for a different day but i've talked about it in some ways in some of my other podcast episodes in that our way of life here uh, affects our longevity and lack thereof and our healthcare system from my perspective it's like the healthcare system wants you to stay sick so that you can keep feeding into this system that you can't afford but that they make money off of and I, I'm not going to go down that path but I just feel like people are dying to get dying for happiness and joy and they want to be healthy and they want to live a long life but they go through the, the way they go about doing it is in such a and I'll say in an egotistical way versus a heart-centered way in thinking what like why do you got to go to such extremes like can you just not find a simple way every day to take control of your lifestyle find some balance find some time that brings you joy make healthy choices even mm -hmm. if you know the food you're not able to afford a lot of food and and i i'm not a it's i'm privileged so for me to say what i say next is uh i'm privileged in saying it so it's it's hard for me to mm -hmm. imagine you know put myself in the shoes of someone who is economically or financially not able to buy or support a lot for their family so what they can buy unfortunately is not going to be the best thing that they could buy so you know we have to find a way in this country to help that whole population but then you have all the people who can do and can and have access to but you're killing yourself uh, because you're striving to look look like and be like something that isn't even realistic and then you're still unhealthy and depressed on top of it like we haven't even tapped into the whole mental health issue well i was going to say you know uh, i mean there are two things as, as I, I listen two things one is uh contemporary capitalism which is <laughs> right. which is a, which really is a conversation i'm spending more and more time trying to really fully understand and the systems that have been set up to uh, produce profit at the expense of individuals, their health and their well-being. Mm -hmm. But you know, the other thing that I think about too is as a culture, where is our psyche? Where mm -hmm. are we really mentally? And I was listening to your podcast with Jill Zimmerman on connection. Mm. You know, so thank you. <laughs> No, I, I, <laughs> a, a plug for your conversations, and I hope this one is as interesting for other people to listen to. But, um, you know, we've recently identified loneliness as a medical issue. Mm. And um, loneliness is, is the same, has the same implications for your health as smoking a half a pack a day. Wow. Wow. 
and it is people in medicine on the fringe are starting to really understand the importance of connection and the importance of relationships. Mm -hmm. And, and we're trying to figure out, you know, I do some work in, in the town of Evanston and we're, we, COVID has identified a population of people that are homebound. Mm -hmm. And so we're in the midst of trying to figure out how best to get vaccines to this group. But we're also now saying, okay, but now we have a list of six or 700 homebound people that are isolated. What, what, what additional responsibilities do we have as caregivers to deal with the isolation and the loneliness? Because it, it, it is a real and obvious thing. And it's, you know, and it seems to me, it's not just homebound people. I think, you know, my sense is that it's uh, epidemic. Oh, yeah. Um, the sense of loneliness and you know the the number one health condition for for teenagers and and those in their early 20s is anxiety yeah oh yeah and i've depression. been reading about that yeah for no, a long so time we're you know this is why i started out talking about the the healthcare system really not that interested in health um but I think it points more towards, and this is sort of my evolving understanding, and and it it, it has implications for what I can do as an individual and mm -hmm. how I do it. But you know, I think we need to fight the bigger systems. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's what you're saying too. Yeah, yeah. You know, we need to really kind of understand the systems, the the larger systems, and you know, I, I think in my evolution. You know, part of what I'm understanding is, you know, those are political systems and those are economic systems and those are social social structures. Mm -hmm. You know, that have that we are the victims of. Yeah, and I and I, uh, yeah, I think you and I'll be doing some more work together outside these conversations as it was coming across in my mind. <laughs> the work you're doing right now in Evanston. We'll, so we'll talk after the call. Yeah. One of the things why I bring up longevity. And I referenced it before you and I, when we were preparing for the chat, is these countries who have longevity. So there's the blue zones that Dan Butner studied, Italy, Japan, Costa Rica, some other. There's also Dr. Sanjay Gupta, who I also adore, did Chasing Life. And he went to six different countries, mm -hmm. uh, some of them overlap, uh, where these, where the cultures are living to 100 and shortly they're over. Uh, Japan, Italy, Turkey, India, Norway, Bolivia. And through all of it, and I've, I've known this for a very long time. And I was kind of, it would actually was one of the things that I manifested on myself before I finished up at my previous job, I started putting it out to the universe about five, six years before my mm -hmm. job finished was that I can't handle being in this much pain anymore. I cannot live this way. Mm -hmm. So whatever you can give me, you know, use me the way you need to use me. You know what my talents and skills are. You know what I love. I just can't be in this kind of pain anymore in a job. It's mm -hmm. killing me. It gave me two diseases that I'll no longer get rid of. It was unreal. The mental, physical, and emotional pain I was in. Mm -hmm. And... And so when I watch these documentaries and I've read so much over time, the thing that 
for me that there's a lot of um, commonalities, but uh, it's their it's their way of life, and it right. has been it's been in their culture since the beginning of their culture. Just this, yes, people have a job, but it is not their life, and it's they work hard, they take pride in what they do. Is it making them millionaires? Most cases, no, but they're proud of the work they do in the community. And that's the, the second keyword is the community. They have this sense, uh, they have a living community with their family and their friends. And it is, it is so interconnected and mm -hmm. so deep. And we don't have that here in America. We've lost it. Wherever it was, it's gone. I can find it in pockets. I can find it in the African-American culture. I can find it in the Hispanic culture. But, you know, if I just speak about my own family, there is, yeah. just like my immediate family, there's not a sense of community in my immediate family. There's not even a sense of community in my extended family. There's a sense of community among my friends and our friends that we have. And it is, uh, it's a smaller community because they're the tried and true people, but, uh, I think and we're I have, building, you know, that's, we're building our own, those of us who, and I would agree with you, who, who think those are important things to surround yeah. ourselves with. Right. Um, and important people to surround ourselves with are, are, are building those, but that's not, but that's a fight against the culture. That's a of fight course. against if, you know, the lessons that we're all independent, that we all need to pull ourselves up, that we all should live in big, fancy houses and have all sorts of nice things that other people have. I mean, I think, you know, you, you really have to physically fight against some of the dysfunction in our culture, which is getting worse. Yeah, <laughs> and, oh, it is. Know, Honestly, it totally it's, is. It, it's getting much worse. And, and, and sometimes, so sometimes I think about, I think about what are the lessons we're going to learn from COVID, you know, because think about what people are doing. People are learning how to bake bread all of a sudden. They're taking time to have family meals. One of the, one of the big benefits that uh, has come from schools being closed is American families are actually eating dinner together, which they never did before in record numbers. Um, people are, you know, there are all these companies that'll send you the 10 ingredients so you can kind of right. cook your dinner, but, but that's a step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. It's probably healthier and you are doing something and your kids are learning how to cook and how to take care of themselves. Um, you know, people are starting to walk more, you know, simple things that could make a huge difference over many, many years. Um, and, I, and I hope that one of the things people are gonna do is regain the sense of community because I think people are helping each other in wonderful ways. And, you know, it, it's, it's odd that we have such a contradictory culture because we're on the one hand, very generous people here in the United States and caring um, and also incredibly selfish. And I'm not wise enough to put all this together, but you know, I hope that we, we take some of these lessons about lifestyle 
And I, I was talking to somebody today, a good friend, a, a professional, and she was talking about, um, you know, her schedule because she doesn't have to get up early in the morning and commute to work is so different. And she was feeling guilty because she wasn't getting up early. She was getting, you know, waking up when she felt like waking up. And I, and I said, well, sounds to me like you've actually returned to some normal sleep patterns, mm -hmm. which is probably a lot healthier for you than getting up earlier than you normally would. Yeah. I think that, and I agree with you. I also, on all the things that people started doing, I think that my hope is that people retain that, retain that awakened sense of, I feel better, I feel different. I think that uh, I definitely know in, in a lot of the business trade stuff that I read that people are definitely now demanding or wanting a more flexible work schedule. So maybe going back to the physical workspace, it'll be 50-50 mm -hmm. in terms of their time, which is good because we need to be around other people. That's how we're designed as humans. We need the community. We need to, to be with each other. Maybe we don't need to see the same people every single day. So it is gonna be splitting our time. I also think that, yes, I agree, the family time and all the cute, you know, the hobbies and baking bread and this and that all start and that's great. I am also noticing a great deal of people being over that, like they're done. Like I wanna go out to dinner five nights a week. I don't wanna be cooking every single night. I'm tired of being around these people in my immediate unit every single day. So you do have that. Um, but well, I also, and that's natural, I yeah, get I it, because we're not designed to be there. around people that, right. the that's, same that's extreme. People. Yeah. But I also think that something else that brought to, that was brought to light with COVID that a lot of people were not prepared for was all of this, all of the, um, imbalances mentally and emotionally that they chose to suppress mm. and or uh, because we follow so many people follow <clears throat> the socially manufactured reality mm -hmm. online and we choose to post and and emulate and model ourselves after these things that are completely unrealistic that be COVID exposed so much of that. So I hope that people start to acknowledge those, what I call the shadows. Actually, I can't even call it that. Deepak Chopra calls it that, your shadow side, mm -hmm. to realize and start taking a look at what does a really healthy life, life, life look like? Not just lifestyle, but just what does a healthy life look like? And what does success really mean? I don't, does it, does it still mean to you that you have to have this title and, you know, a six figure plus salary? And does it really still mean that you have to be, have to have 5 million followers on your social media? I hope that they really start to look at mm -hmm. redefining what a healthy life looks like so that they can take better care of themselves, that they can live and find moderation and still 
be present in the space because life is too short if they haven't figured that out already in the last 12 months that life is too short we're a blip on this planet and yep. each of us you know it's about experience like if you want longevity it's not about the facelift or the ass tuck or you know i'm going to be on a keto mct you know bulletproof coffee diet for the rest of my life whatever that looks like um to, to to look at these people who are outside the united states because i really find them to be a much better example than the, a lot of the people within and i'm not saying that there's not people here in the states that have been good examples but we're a young culture we're only 400 years old i'm looking at people who have been around for thousands of years and set a much better example than us. I'm not saying people outside the United States are perfect by any means, but I'm just talking about well-being in general and longevity of life and a happy life and a fulfilling life. We have to change what our definitions of what that looks like, I think, here. Well, and I, 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 I hope we'll take some of our COVID lessons uh, you know, into this conversation. Um, and I do find that, you know, many younger folks in their 20s are, I think, are asking themselves a lot of these questions. Um, you know, and some of them are being forced upon them, right, because of ch challenges in getting jobs, challenges in getting a decent pay, um, seeing, uh, you know, older generations who are really becoming victims of, of this kind of odd sense of, of success that we've had here. So, you know, I don't know, but, you know, as we, we get back to that earlier comment, like people, <laughs> people are, are not always willing to take the time and put the energy into these things that are required. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I have, I have been disappointed as somebody who's been doing yoga for 20 years at what, is being sold now as yoga, mm -hmm. which is, you know, a, a fancy workout. Um, but it has been stripped of, I think, some of the spiritual elements, um, some of the personal insights. Absolutely. You know, that a yoga practice really should have. So, yeah, I mean, Americans want it fast. We have to deal with that. They, they want certain things to be easy. I think we have to deal with that. You know, I, I can't tell you how many people would rather take a pill for their cholesterol than eat a few less cheeseburgers. For sure. You know, I mean, that's just a, you know, you know, so, you know, in, in, in my work, I'm always trying to, you know, use education instead of putting people on medication because mm -hmm. those are lifelong medications. Um, many of which have, you know, benefits, but also downsides. But I think, you know, I think people would love to have a pill to solve all of their problems. Um, and that's, you know, another part of this desire to make it fast and make it easy and make it less, make their contribution to the results, um, you know, less, less onerous on their side. And that's 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 not a long-term solution for any of these issues. 
Yeah, so and a, a deep conversation we've had for sure. Uh, and I think hopefully it gives people reason to pause and think about their health and the care of themselves. And I mean, there's things that, you know, we've discussed on this call, on this chat that we can't change you and I personally in terms of our healthcare system and, uh, right. and in terms of uh, some but of the start. Yeah, but you can start. I mean, there's plenty of things well underneath that that we can change, but yeah. it does start with ourselves. It does absolutely start with ourselves and it starts with small changes and it starts with shifting your frame of mind and it starts with shifting your perspective and choosing, willingly choosing to try something on different and giving up uh, the sense of entitlement uh, and, and just trying a change and, and looking at things differently and looking at the, the, your path differently and and it does take deep diving yeah. you know i think but this is where some so much of the eastern culture is is of great benefit if we can start to learn more from them the notion of humility the notion of community um, you know of of responsibility and mm -hmm. i mean all of those things are things we've talked about that i think um, get superficial attention here, mm -hmm. um, but are really deeply, deeply, you know, and I, and I hope it's still true, but, you know, uh, deeply essential in, in other cultures in ways that they don't seem to be important here. You know, we're all still bowling alone. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think if people could look to these other countries uh, and how they've chosen to live their lives and take a nod from them and try one thing on, uh, try a couple things on. I just think it would, I think overall, it would change so much about people Mm -hmm. And when one person does it, it, it and they it, in their circle, their circle starts to see how they've changed. Well, then the people in their circle get influenced by it and it becomes a ripple effect. And I think it is one step at a time, but it is um, being willing to model that process for others and not to not be afraid, you know, and mm -hmm. it's not going to be perfect and it's not going to be glorious every day. Uh, I guarantee, though, that you will feel better, mm -hmm. uh, small, and then it will become large. And then you, you will become addicted to that way of feeling. And it's not an egotistical way of feeling. It's a, it's a truly heart centered way of feeling. And you, you serve from different, you serve from a much different place and it contributes completely mentally, physically, and emotionally and spiritually. Well, I, you know, this is why, um, uh, you know, I appreciate being a friend of yours and having a conversation to talk, but also because you've dedicated yourself to these questions. You know, mm -hmm. as long as I've known you, uh, these tough questions are ones that you come to in your efforts to coach and your efforts to teach 
in your efforts to, you know, take care of, you know, the ones that you love, you know, you're, you've always asked these questions. And I think we need more people asking, asking these questions. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not easy. I mean, there's plenty no. of easy days, but there's a lot of difficult days. I mean, if it would be easy, everybody would be doing it. Clearly yeah. we're not, um, but it's, it is, I just feel better doing yeah. it that way. Yeah. Um, well, it's purpose, you know, and that's another thing we didn't really talk about, but, yeah. you, you know, I think humans need a sense of purpose, mm -hmm. um, that their actions are part of something bigger than themselves. And I think that's, you know, we've all too narrowly defined what we do and who we are. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, hopefully that's part of where we're going to go you know as a culture and, and and like i said the lessons of COVID. i mean when the world shut down we were all forced to go without many things mm -hmm. and um did were we resourceful and creative and did we do our best um you know for all the people who used to go to a gym all of a sudden they had to figure out how to, how to do that in their home right in the street Right. Um, but hopefully that's a lesson that they learned, which is, you know, I don't have time to go to the gym is not any longer valid because you don't need to go to the gym. Right. You can, you can do it in, in simpler ways. So let's really deal with what's really true mm -hmm. and let's make some changes and, and, and learn. So, you know, I'm up, I, I, I I'm generally optimistic <laughs> with, with a dose of realism, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping. Mm -hmm. We've learned that uh, this focus on health and well-being and community and relationship um, are, are critical, and hopefully more people will have these kinds of conversations and listen to these kinds of conversations, um, and it'll spark ideas for them. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Sure. Bruce. Thank you, my friend, for being here and doing this. And I love the conversation, and I hope that everyone who listens. Uh, we'll take something from it and I look forward to having everyone back at the next chat that we have and um, I want everyone to be well try thing just do something one step at a time but just try just just try it on it can't hurt you I can guarantee right. you it's just not going to hurt you it's trial just, and try, error. just try it and, um, and and share it you know if it works share it by all means. So um, thank you for being here. I really appreciate All it. Right. Thanks for the invitation. Bye.